This is the Lions Unchained podcast, where the shackles of your mind are broken. It's not for the faint-hearted, but the chosen few who've embraced the call to leadership, dare to venture where others will not, and believe in God's supernatural power. Join Carl Joseph now for a life-changing word. Get ready to be unleashed into your destiny. Seventeen Reasons Why Evolution is a Lie Evolutionary theory, not fact, I might add, believes that eons ago life began in a water pool. Over millions of years, an alga, or primordial protozoon, slowly developed limbs via a series of transformational events. In other words, the algae grew an eye, then a leg, then became a fish, which then became a mammal, and so on. Basically, this theory posits we evolved from molecule to man or particle to person. This hypothetical process has widely become accepted within academic circles as macroevolutionary theory. Now, despite there being much evidence within creation for microevolution, which I will explain shortly, there is no evidence for macroevolution, as many evolutionists would claim. In the 18th century, Jean-Baptiste Lamarack postulated, quote, redundancy theory, or that we would lose bodily functions or parts throughout time as we evolve. In fact, evolutionary theory was first presupposed by the Grecian philosopher Aristotle, then later developed by Charles Darwin. The predominant secular worldview that stemmed from Aristotle's philosophy was brutal. It reduced man to beast-like status and originated the survival of the fittest mindset so prevalent today, with morals discarded and primitive passions elevated to supremacy. The conscience of man has not evolved, my friend. It is a gift from God, and Romans 2.15 makes that clear. It tempers our inherent lascivious nature, something that evolutionists refuse to acknowledge. Okay, so enough rambling. Here are 17 reasons why macroevolutionary theory has no scientific proof and remains a flawed hypothesis. Number one, God's omission leaves unanswered questions. How did life originate from non-living matter, exactly? Ask any scientist, no one has ever been able to recreate life in a test tube, nor will they ever be able to. This leaves us with the Big Bang Theory, or highly advanced extraterrestrials who cross-pollinated our gene pool in times of antiquity. This belief is gaining traction in modern culture and is known as panspermia, popularized by the Ancient Aliens program on the History Channel. So who created the extraterrestrials? We are back to square one. The chances of life developing from an unknown combination of elements is effectively the same as finding a needle in a haystack as high and wide as the state of Texas. The odds are insurmountable and leads us back to one logical conclusion. Albert Einstein once said, quote, when the solution is simple, God is answering, unquote. In this case, the solution is simple enough. Only creation answers the question of our origin, and only a fool would believe otherwise. God has provided the answer in his word. It requires a lot of faith to believe in macroevolution, as we shall soon see. I simply don't have the faith for it. Number two, the gap between the animal and vegetable kingdoms. At some time in the ancient past, these two kingdoms have shifted apart, yet evolutionists have no explanation for this. 
Why only two types of kingdoms? Why not thousands? Why just animal and vegetable? Because God created the earth and everything follows after its own kind. This is the order of things. Number three, life cannot be reproduced except by life. Science has never been able to solve the simple equation of producing life. There is a limit to human wisdom. The chemist can separate a cabbage leaf into its component parts, but only God can take those cabbage parts and make a cabbage leaf. We can manipulate DNA, yet we cannot produce it from nothing. Case closed. Number four, the formation of species lines. Granted, man is affected by his food source and environment to a certain degree, there is no doubt. This is known as microevolution. However, macroevolution is based upon a change of the inheritable characteristics of life forms, which is not evident in nature. For example, climate might cause a rabbit to grow a thicker coat of fur. He will adapt to his environment and food sources will influence its strength and weight, but these changes die with the rabbit. DNA traits can be passed on as part of the genetic makeup, yet the species remains the same. This is where macroevolution falls short. Relocating a rabbit from Texas to Alaska may cause a thickening of the coat as part of its adaptation, say within two to four generations, but it's still a rabbit. The species is bound by its creative order. Number five, there are no transformational species found in the fossil record. Wait, did you hear that, friend? No transformational species ever found. This is by far the largest flaw in macroevolutionary theory. For every sequence of evolutionary advancement along the line of species, we should find countless, if not millions of fossils that are half algae, half fish, half fish, half mammal, and so on and so forth. None of these have ever been found, despite scouring the fossil record. No monkeys or lemurs in the supposed line of man's descent have ever been discovered. Evolutionists merely use their imagination to fill in the gaps. Also, there is practically nothing about a skeleton to indicate the body lines of the animal that owned it. We are left to fill in so many gaps for ourselves. Carefully placing human and monkey bones next to each other behind museum glass doesn't validate evolutionary sequences. There have been numerous fossil frauds documented down the years where man has tried to authenticate evolution's existence using the bones of pigs or monkeys. This merely proves the decrepit state of man in need of a savior, but doesn't justify Darwin's hypothesis. Number six, what stopped the evolutionary process? Why has the evolutionary clock stopped now all of a sudden? If we descended from apes, then why in the last few thousand years hasn't there been a shadow of evolutionary change in the existing ape kingdom? These so-called human progenitors should currently be producing hybridized ape men. Progeny for all to see, but this is not evident. Scientists would have us believe that in five to ten generations the common ape evolved into a man. Yet by comparison, it takes approximately 50,000 to 50 million years to go from, say, a typhoid to malaria germ. This is a glaring contradiction and yet another missing link that will remain missing. Number seven, embryos do not propagate. It's impossible to produce an apple seed from an apple without first producing an apple tree. Caterpillars do not produce caterpillars. They produce butterflies, which produce eggs from larva, which hatch to produce caterpillars. Evolution demands embryos be directly productive, yet these embryonic forms live side by side. If they really were embryonic and part of man's lineage, then human mothers would give birth to baby lemurs. No friend, the boundary of species 
species has been set by God and will never be breached unless hybridization of species is introduced in the test lab. Number eight, the sterility of hybrids. A true hybrid is a cross between individuals of distinct species. Let's remember that breeding can induce changes of individuals within a species, but such changes do not change the species itself. Crosses produce true hybrids, and such hybrids are sterile. It is true that there have been scarce reports of hybrids that were fertile, but it rarely occurs in mammals, birds, or reptiles. A mule, for example, is the hybrid offspring of a donkey and a horse, which are typically sterile. The point being is sterile hybrids cannot by nature form an evolutionary lineage culminating in man. Number nine, the question of reversion to type. It is possible to improve varieties within a species by carefully controlled breeding. Let's say we use a Clydesdale horse, for example, which is a cross between a Cobb and a Flemish horse. If you were then to place a dozen or so of these prime Clydesdale specimens together, male and female, then every time the progeny would return to the original Cobb and Flemish types. This, my friend, is known as reversion to type and a biological fact. It directly refutes the evolutionary hypothesis. Number 10, the unexplained but admitted failure of evolution at unexpected and unpredictable times. Many scholars agree there is no proof whatsoever of organic evolution, so why surmise this will take place in the animal kingdom? If there were but one species that remain unchanged, we might by a stretch of the imagination accept it as an exception to the rule. However, by observation, there are hundreds of these species that remain unchanged, a fact that is admitted by even the most dogged evolutionist. Number 11. Conflict of the theories of evolution with available records. Archaeology has proven conclusively that man has experienced a cyclical pattern throughout history, traveling more of a circuitous route rather than a linear uphill climb. In Mesopotamia, for example, man has gone from sophisticated civilization to almost the very depths of savagery and back again some four or five times. Egyptian records tell a similar story. The conclusion, friend, is unavoidable. The earliest traces of man, as far as records attest, are of a simple yet nonetheless civilized culture, greatly impacted by sin. Man did not build up to a civilized state. He started there. The idea that man has developed from a bestial state of savagery in a linear time frame to a state of civilization is based upon a theory that differs from historical accounts and the biblical record. Man has been building complex structures and forging iron and brass for millennia. These are not recent discoveries. Number 12. The coexistence of types. It is a well-known fact that some species, formerly supposed to have descended from each other, actually live side by side. For example, our modern-day horse was believed to have descended from a three-toed animal the size of a fox. This was also known as the Eohippus. Then one day, the remains of our modern-day horse, or Hippus, was discovered in the same drift with the Eohippus. The same can be said of other species, including man, who live side by side with apes from the earliest traces. We have concurrently existed with all animal and vegetable types for millennia. In fact, the Bible speaks of dinosaurs and man living side by side. This is discussed in the book of Job and other texts. Number 13, the constant number of species. The number of species on the planet has remained constant since the tertiary period. This completely dismisses the entire basis of evolutionary theory. It states clearly that life has evolved from one single form to form all various orders, families, varieties, etc., as are found today. 
If that were true, the number of species would be constantly increasing, yet they are not. In spite of this, evolutionists still harp on about this single-form hypothesis. Number 14. The question of method. Darwinism speaks of survival of the fittest. Lamarack proposed the use and disuse of faculties. Young and Buffon favored adaptation in a modified form. However, none of these theories will stand the simplest test any child can apply. If survival of the fittest is true, then how come the house cat has conquered the dinosaur? Also, the humble rabbit and dog have outlived the saber-toothed tiger, mastodons, and mammoth. In fact, the only remaining reptilia on Earth are the weakest and smallest ones. This friend is not survival of the fittest, although I have seen some nasty poodles and chihuahuas in my time. Lamarack's theory of redundancy falls short when we consider the ape species, for example. Some have no tails, which are extremely good climbers in the wild, alongside other monkeys with long tails that are equally good climbers. I think we can agree most monkeys or apes are good climbers with or without tails. The reasoning for this exists in the mind of the creator who created them, for his own good pleasure and by design. Number 15. The Preservation of Species Lines Modifications of characteristics in an individual are not transmitted naturally and do not tend to change the species. Occasionally individuals are born with abnormal or distinctive characteristics. Some individuals have been born with mutations and these have entered the gene pool due to man's corrupted state. However, these occurrences are very rare. Despite these throwbacks, as the evolutionists call them, they do not transmit their unique characteristics to their offspring. They usually disappear in the first generation only to have normal offspring. Many scientists believe these mutations are a product of glandular deficiency or abnormality and not the result of heritage. We know that God gives people greater grace to cope with these difficulties. Number 16, the mystery of skin color. The cause of skin color is melanin. All colors stem from one man, Adam, who had the DNA from which all skin colors could be propagated in time. Indeed, the same substance, a dark brown pigment called melanin, colors the skin of all humans. Individuals who possess more of this pigment have black skin. People who have smaller amounts appear white. Melanin is produced by organelles contained in special cells called melanocytes. Melanocytes are located in the bottom layer of the skin and produce melanin with the aid of enzymes. People with lighter colored skin have smaller, fewer, and less dense melanosomes. So skin color, friend, is a form of pigmentation, and the devil has been dividing us with skin color ever since. It's time to wake up and see who is manipulating this division in humanity today. Number 17, the mathematical difficulty based on current population. Let's do the math. Constant lifespan in species is the rule rather than the exception, so let's assume this for the sake of argument. From the biblical account of the time of Abraham, which we estimate to be 2160 years BC, we can surmise the genesis of the Jewish nation to be about 2000 BC. Let's use 1960 as a datum, anadomini. According to the Almanac, there were 20 million Jews in the world at that time. Thus we find the descendants of Jacob have doubled themselves 23 and a half times in the 4,000 years since the marriage of Jacob to his two wives. Scholars date the flood to 3500 BC. If we begin with a family of eight, which was the number of humans in the ark, and we use the same ratio of increase for 5,500 years since the time of the flood, that's Noah's flood, 
we find that in 1960, there would be about 2.6 billion children of our father Noah in the world at that time. Records clearly show, friend, you can Google it yourself. In about 1960, this is a fairly accurate estimate of the world population. And if we project that forward, the number is close to 8 billion today. Now let's do the same math for the evolutionists, starting 50,000 years ago and allow the same rate of reproduction, not accounting for wars or famines, etc. In this case, the human family would have doubled itself more than 294 times. If this were true, every surface of the earth, including the water mass, would be covered in people to a height of 13 miles deep. Clearly, this is not the case. The model fits the word of God, not the evolutionists. Evolutionists would say the human race would not begin with one trio, Ham, Shem, and Japheth, the sons of Noah, but with a large number of trios, further dispelling the theory based on current population estimates. Wait, there's more. Remember, there are some three million animal species alone, and most of them are much more prolific than man. Let's just say we haven't even considered them yet. We would be swamped in animals using the same evolutionistic model. After doing the math, friend, current world population strongly coincides with the biblical account. If you want to make yourself unpopular within academia or any social circle, just make it known you don't believe in evolution. You'll likely be labeled a fool by others and scorned for doing so. Yet we know from God's word, friend, in Psalm 14, verse 1, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Many of the so-called establishment academics and scientists are actually fools in the sight of God. I want you to understand, friend, that evolutionary theory is just a theory, not a fact, and requires a tremendous amount of faith, faith that I do not possess based on the facts. It is often said no scientist would deny the fact of evolution. The truth is no right-minded scientist would affirm evolution as a fact. The issue, my friend, has always and will be a question of accountability. If man evolved, then there is no sin. If there is no sin, we are not accountable for it. Therefore, Christ died in vain. And if Christ died in vain, what do we need God for? Evolutionary theory is yet another of man's concoctions to sidestep his accountability to God. A God to whom one day he will give an account for his life. Yet in truth, Satan, the God of this world, has blinded humanity to God's existence and utilizes man's own reasoning for his benefit. It mentions this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. Evolutionary theory is a prime example of this futile reasoning and only leads to perdition. Don't believe the lies of today's culture. Choose today whom you will serve. If you enjoyed this broadcast today, friend, and like to share it with someone else, please go to our website, carljosephministries.com. That's all one word. Once again, that's carljosephministries.com, Carl with a C. And click on blog, and at the bottom of the page, you will find a complete transcript of this broadcast if you would like to share it with friends and family. God bless you, friend. You've been listening to Carl Joseph and the Lions Unchained podcast. Carl is a minister who has witnessed God's miraculous power to save, heal, and deliver. Carl covers topics such as geopolitics, current affairs, cults, societal trends, and end-time events, all through a biblical lens. Every Monday, new podcasts are uploaded, so stay tuned for the next opportunity to roar into victory. Thank you.
Check out carljosephministries.com for exciting articles, teachings, and discussion points. See you next week. And don't forget to hit the subscribe button.